Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company. We're a movement of artists and patrons who believe in the power of beauty to evangelize our culture. And we're so pumped you're here. As always, it's a great pleasure to be welcoming you back to the podcast. And today, in a very special way, I'm excited to welcome back Dr. Ryan Hanning. Many of you know him because he has been a regular contributor on the Love Good podcast now for the last two seasons. He's probably the smartest person I know. And today, we talk very specifically about what what he called the incarnational reality of education, right? What does it look like, especially as we're coming out of COVID-19 and the world is slowly getting back to normal. I mean, down in Florida, everything's back to normal. There's a lot of masks, but everything else is literally back to normal. Thank you, Jesus. All right. But I'm very aware that there are some schools that are completely shut down right now. There are some economies, you know, city and state level economies that are completely shut down. There's people who have not left their thousand square foot apartment in New York City in like a year. And if that's true, I mean, that's got to be true, right? And that's insane. We need each other. We need reality be, to be enfleshed, right? Got to con human flesh. Well, guess what? We are flesh and blood. We need people and we need to be in person. And it's part of what's so interesting about Love Good is that obviously we're very pleased to have a podcast. We're very excited that we can do all these different things with live stream retreats and concerts and, of course, social media and email marketing. All that's great. But at the end of the day, the sweet spot in Love Good is the in-person encounter, the in-person house concert, for example, which reminds me, this is a great time to go to lovegoodculture.com slash tour and book yourself a fireside because Marisol is back on the road. Literally right now, she's on the road with Jackie Minson and she will be off and on throughout the spring, well into the summer. And we want to come and do a show in your backyard, in your living room, whatever is safe, right? Whatever you're comfortable with, we're willing to do it. And this is obviously how we really get the word out about love good. It's how we grow and it's how we carry this vision, right, of culture, of authentic Christian culture to the masses. So all that to say, sit back and enjoy this wonderful conversation in just a few moments with Dr. Ryan Hanning. And for now, in case you missed it, we just dropped a Valentine's Day playlist last week. And here's a song off of that playlist. It's called I Choose You by Sarah Kroger. Dr. Ryan Hanning. <laughs> Welcome back, man. It's so good to be back. It's like this, like, this is beginning to feel like home. I was like, going to you know? say that. It feels more like home when you're here than when you're not. L- last time we did this, the table was 
in a different sort of direction. Yeah, we no one could hear me over uh, my mask. Yeah, mask. Yeah. We were just far. Yeah. Which a little that's kind of how the world felt. Yep. Even six months ago, you know, just a little isolated from itself. Now we're just coming back slowly, <laughs> prudently. We, we were talking, you know, before like what's our COVID protocol now and how's it changed and whatnot. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, like, we've learned a lot. Yeah, this desire to to re-enter into the real is like really tangible right now. And people express it in different ways. I mean, it can be, but I mean, I hear like I, I you know, I've been traveling recently, which is really odd and sort of uncomfortable for me because I, I, I tend to be pretty pretty cautious right now with people I don't know and big crowds and whatnot. But even people say simple statements like, I can't wait until there's audiences on TV shows again. Mm. And like what they're really saying is my heart yearns for authenticity and real relationship, yeah. even even in that sort of, you know, like media sense, right? And so I think we're just all ready to re-enter back in. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's know. early February right now, but back in the Christmas stretch, I was getting increasingly annoyed with, okay, for example, all these Christmas concerts being live streamed from, you know, either really, really cool venues, often in Nashville, or, you know, in artist homes and, and such. And you just always had this awkward moment at the end of every song where there's no one there to applaud. There's no one there to sing along. And like, you know, I went to see Michael W. Smith at the Ryman, which was a great experience, except for the fact that they went so far as to describe in great detail the one way that we were allowed to take our mask off, but never for more than five seconds at a time as we lifted it up from the bottom, took a little sip of our water, put it right back down. It just felt unnatural. It felt hard to relax. And, you know, I had another friend who had gone to see a different Christmas show at the Ryman a week prior, and she got stared down by one of the artists on stage when she took her mask off for one song, which is understandable. Okay, maybe the mask shouldn't have come off for that one song, but they were like six feet from anybody in any direction. We're just kind of still coming out of this tense, awkward, uncertain time. It's it's amazing to this whole thing is like, especially you mentioned Christmas, I mean, that the reality of the incarnation (laughs) and the fact that we are called to be in relationship and that like the way that human communication works is incarnational, right? That any, anything that, that, that prevents that or stands in the way of that, you know, naturally you understand acts as like a prophylactic. It actually stops mm. it from happening, right? What's that and word? Prophylactic. Pro- That's actually, a great word. It's, it's actually a medical term. I mean, it means to to prevent, you know, transmission. And there's something, you know, real about the incarnation, something real about entering in. And so, you know, I mean, you know, masks might be really prudent in times of pandemic, absolutely. But, but you know, we have to think about all the ways that that kind of impacts us. And so I think the hope is as we re-enter in, There'll be a deeper hunger for the real, a deeper hunger for authenticity. See, that's so good know? because it's not just a a medical or scientific debate mm-hmm. that we should be having right now. It's a political debate. Oh yeah, uh, not in the sort of like hypertense, you know, election year, you know, sort of I think sense that, of political behind debate, us. You know, yeah, yeah. but it affects the people and it affects how we live and how we operate together. But this is also, it has cultural implications. I think it has major psychological implications. Like no one still to this day is talking enough about the effects of this past year on young people. And that's honestly where my heart just continues to break. So obviously I'm I'm living in Tampa now. I'm I'm back in Nashville today. Look at you. (laughs) I know, I know. You know, you were down in, I guess, November to visit, which was really, really special. No, that was December, December actually. Man, yeah, I mean, flies. come on. You forget when it's just like 70 degrees year-round. You're on you know? the beach. It's beautiful. So good. But the thing that's been breaking my heart now that I'm working in education full-time, I've had five students. Well, within the first few months of school, I had five students come into my office. At some point, there was a level of trust and vulnerability to where they they set up an appointment. They come in. We're having a one-on-one. And next thing I know, they're telling me about how basically many times they've thought about committing suicide in the last six to eight months. 
And obviously we're reading the stats. It's, it's a far higher percentage than even that, but those are the ones that I'm hearing firsthand. And you think, wow, like how do you push back against the isolation, the fear? I don't know that there's many people living in true freedom right now. Yeah, well, let's think about it too. I mean, like, so this particular moment, right? Every moment that, that we have presented to us, we, we have to discern and, and find out what's good, beautiful, and true. And what, you know, what, what things might be being taught to us and those things that, that we have to reject outright. And the truth is like in this time of pandemic, like there's greater solidarity, praise God. Like mm-hmm. you know, we're all in this together, rich, poor, doesn't matter what continent you're on. Like we're all in this together. It's like the DMV, it's been an equalizer. It's been an equalizer, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, so the question now is, do we want to actually do something about that, right? Right. So that's been really positive. There's been some you know, beautiful things about this. Yeah, I know for myself, not traveling for seven months, being at home, re-entering, being re-enchanted with the joy of family life is like really healthy. That's cool. Yeah, you know, so like there's some good things, but there's also some bad things. And the, and the bad thing that I've seen you know, most of all this is that somehow we still have not learned that fragmentation and isolation is not good for humans, period, full stop. Like just, it's not. And, and if we, you know, sure COVID's a pandemic, but there's been a, a pandemic going on a lot longer. Yeah. You can take it all the way back to the fall if you want, or just take it back just to more acutely, you know, recently in modern society that says, oh, I can do it on my own. Mm. No, you can't. Yeah. Like we need each other. We're dependent upon each other. And the more we're isolated, man, the, that, that just, you know, the, the more that we are left alone mm. in a way that's artificial and forced, like I said, sort of that takes away and removes our freedom, the more susceptible we are to, to all sorts of, you know, of, of, of attacks that are both biological and spiritual, like that we just sort of fall prey because we're not made to be alone. I mean, you know, the scriptures say beautifully, it's not good that man is alone, full stop, right? It doesn't need any explanation. And I think deep down we intuit this, right? That we want community. We, we long for each other. And especially like you mentioned, you know, in the educational setting, I mean, the reality of education is that it is incarnational. It requires, I mean, education is just content delivery unless it actually comes to land and live in the heart of the people who hear it. And the only way that happens is through a transmission of, of, of persons of like, you know, think of anything that you've ever learned, right? I mean, chances are you learned it because of the relationship you had with the teacher. I mean, people might have said profound things to you, but the reason you might remember it is probably because you know that person, right? You remember the moment they said it or the conviction they said it with. Right, chances are it was communicated to you, even if it was like in a book. You know, the best books that communicate ideas, it's not a bullet list. It's, it's within a story or within a narrative, right? I and mean, this is how we're wired. And so, you know, one of the big challenges of the time that we're hopefully entering out of right now is that we need to, to, to call this out. You know, for the truth is we need each other. We need community. We're built for it. And isolation and fragmentation are, are going to destroy us, whether we admit it or not. You know? See, this is so cool because what you've just described has been absolutely my experience in these first you know, six months of living in Tampa, of working at an all-boys Catholic high school. They came in so hungry, so open. Frankly, I would say aching, right, from the fragmentation, from the isolation, from all these things. And initially, we had about 100 e-learners, so they were not necessarily receiving a virtual education catered to a virtual audience, right? It was much more of a passive sort of receiving of what was happening actively in the classroom via Zoom, which is really tough. And most of our students, unless they are wicked smart and very self-motivated, they've really, really struggled e-learning, even if they're quarantined for a couple of weeks at a time and not opting you know, for that. They're kind of forced into it. They, they come back and they're just overwhelmed, right? What's neat though, is obviously I'm not in the classroom. So my whole job is in a sense to to live prophetically this Jesuit ideal of what we call the cura personalis, the care of the person. 
And I've never been in an environment like this where every single person on that campus knows that there's at least one adult mentor, even at times father figure, certainly friend, who is deeply invested in them as a person. So like even their best moments in the classroom, as you just put it so eloquently, has very little to do with transmission of data. Yeah. You know, it's it's this entering into relationship with someone that they trust and that they ultimately believe is for them, is with them. And because of that, then they're able to receive so much <laughs> the more. lessons that you know that they're able to receive that data. Yeah. This is it's so amazing. You know, I've been I've been studying this a lot. I was able to write a white paper with a place, San Diego Institute, I'm a fellow, I'm a senior fellow there, which is sort of the apostolate to the apostolates. We're we're there to serve schools, we serve charter schools, private schools. And we do a lot of research and I was I was knee deep in this and and April and in May, and I'll be knee deep into it again for a charter district in New York that we're finishing a study for. And you know, one of the things we're finding is like we 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 can do this. Like in a sense, like certain things, certain skills are a matter of just content delivery, right? right? Like certain things are, and that's fine. And those things might do really well in the online environment, might do really well in the virtual environment. In fact, might even be delivered better. Well said. But there's a lot of things that aren't. And there's also things developmentally that probably aren't going to happen because of, of the age of the child or the ability of the child. You know, and so let's, we can be honest about that. We have really good developmental psychologists who we should probably listen to during this time. Mm. And like, so think about it. None of us, could you imagine going to a doctor and the doctor telling you that all of his residency was virtual? Yeah. You would run out of that office so quick, or, or law, right? There are certain things that do not lend themselves well because they require so much. They're a human activity, yeah. right? They're not coding or something. They're a human activity. Right? There's, a, there's an imprint of humanity on it. Mm. That type of education is incarnational. It always has been because our human heart and our brain is, is written that way. We're literally wired for that. And I think during this time, that's become more and more like, you know, it's really sort of more and more poignant. I mean, both in research and in how people describe the tension right now, right? Like I've heard it said, for instance, I was with somebody talking with a student who was traveling to be home for Christmas. And I say, hey, how's it going? Da, da. And she's describing her experience at this you know, large you know, university. And she goes, I just want to be with people who are happy to be with other people. Like just this sort of basic, not even like, you know, there's a human longing for belonging, absolutely. But there's just also this human longing to be like around other people. Totally. And you think if, if the whole purpose of like a university or a high school or even an elementary school is that you're there with a group of people who are all there to learn. They're all there to advance. They're all there to, to continue to discover the mission God has given them or, or enter into the, the skills that they need to you know, achieve and be a gift of self to others in their profession. I mean, right, that's, that's like what a school is. It's not a holding tank. It's, it's not, if we reduce education to the, the, the delivery of content, we have missed the mark. Totally. You know? And so you know, I think we need to rediscover this and the pandemic's given us a really good opportunity you know, even with matters of prudence, like it might be very prudent in, in areas of high outbreak to keep kids at home. But let's recognize what we can and cannot do behind the screen. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the screen is always going to be for for however good. I mean, the highest resolution we've come up with, we don't have delays as much. I mean, we've had these things, but it's always going to stand in the way of authentic communication. You know, we could test this. I mean, we can really test it. This is why, you know, I've talked to people who have met their spouse online about that first date when you meet in person, how much is riding on it. Why? Because there's only so much you can really, you know, enter into through that screen. Now you can do a lot. We can acknowledge it. But when it comes to like educational learning about the other person or, or learning about a subject, I mean, there's something deeply human about it. It's um, funny. I think we all had this hunch years ago, right? When MySpace was first coming out and obviously Facebook. And the next thing you know, you had dating sites. 
I have never gotten away from my discomfort with meeting people or even deepening friendships in these platforms behind screens, essentially. And I think there's always been a value to maintaining relationships, to staying in touch with people, to sort of doing our best in times of great distance. Like when my sister moved to Bend, Oregon, I just started FaceTiming with them a lot more than ever before. All of that's special, you know, and it, and it has its place, but it absolutely doesn't replace the person-to-person, soul-to-soul encounter, the need that we have for communion with each other. Yeah, I mean, the way I like to think about it is, you know, so properly understood a pen and pencil is technology, right? I mean, like, especially in the educational environment, we've always used technology. I mean, you go back to the ancient Romans, they used little wax tabula you know, that you would actually in- inscribe on the wax and put it out in the sun and it would remelt and you could reuse it, right? It's like, the, literally, they're called tablets. I mean, that's, that was the actual name. We're not making that up. That's what it was. <laughs> so there's always been a, a level of technology to help us communicate, to, to make learning more efficient. But the central aspect of it has always been the human, this exchange, this incarnation, this, this, this placing flesh upon that which we're learning and, and, and giving a face and a name and an experience and a narrative and a culture to it that we just can't dismiss. And we're, we're, we're finding that, you know, both through our own sort of instinct, but also now through some really good data coming on the other side of this crisis. And, and I think what we need to return to, and you've probably seen it so well, the high school you're working at, is this, this basic truth that we learn in community. Yeah. Like we really do. Now we might, you know, we might have this greater ability to learn, you know, independently from its subjects. Absolutely. We're not discounting that. But but all those things you learn are for the purpose of doing something to likely serve other human beings, right? <laughs> to serve other people or to build some products. So there's always some, you know, work communicates who we are and how we want to be a gift to each other. And so whether it be skill learning or those deeper lessons of life, like think of learning how you know, to read and write. I mean, think about it. We have second graders right now who are trying to, to learn how to read and write over the screen. And we have teachers, God bless them, who are, who are pulling their hair out, trying to figure out ways to do this. I was talking with one school the other day that's trying to figure out a program that can help students manipulate properly to hold pencils properly. Because think like, you know, I, I'm thinking back to my second, when I was in that, that, those ages, kindergarten through second grade. I remember the teacher coming up to me like, no, you don't hold it this way. You, know, you hold it this way. Or you know, that, that type of, that tactical interaction. I remember you're taking a test and, and and tears welling up in my eyes and the teacher coming up and patting me on the shorts and calm down, you're good. You got this, right? Not that right now. You know, like all those things that are so central. In fact, everywhere we find sort of virtual education succeeding is not where they're trying to replace those things. It's where they recognize they can't be replaced, yeah. Yeah. which is just, let's just be honest about it. And I think this has been really interesting because for years now, I've had this growing discomfort with events, ironically, podcasts, like anything that is sort of two-dimensional, right? That doesn't involve any exchange of persons, right? Yeah. They have their purpose. They have their role. Obviously, we, we wouldn't spend hours in the studio, you know, every but we six do, months We do together. this for ourselves, too. Like. <laughs> well, that's the thing. If it wasn't for our friendship, yeah. if it wasn't for the fact that th- this is not a show for us, this is like a, a cultivation of certainly friendship, but also hope in the heart. And, and obviously, like within our intellects, this need that I have to be constantly growing, to be constantly growing. I finally finished my master's in theology, mm. uh, which is great. But now I have- from, from a great school, by the way. Let's give a shout from out. From a great school. Holy, Holy apostles. apostles. They right? know what they're doing. Yeah. But I now have, other, other than conversations like this, zero accountability to be cultivating the life of the mind, right? So this serves a, a distinct and personal purpose, but also it, it doesn't come anywhere near 
the joy that we both experienced, you know, back in December when there's 12 of us gathered in a, in a, a leadership retreat who are exchanging rich ideas, but also rich testimony. You know, like there was these moments where we're making this gift of self that you cannot make behind a screen. So one example of this on campus right now is we're still doing retreats. Basically Jesuit high school in Tampa, Florida is fully operational. We just have masks on. I'd say that's the only big difference. We're also not doing a lot of overnight retreats as you can imagine. Those are prudent steps. That's right. And we're in Florida. It's just, it it actually has been pretty low key compared to other places by far, you know, cases and deaths. It's just, it's just not been a big deal. In fact, one of the things we're constantly pushing back against is parents who are like, why aren't you doing more? Why aren't, I mean, they're really pushing us in a good way to not live in fear, right? It's cool to have that level of support, but we're, you know, also just very aware that these, these students have come in more hungry and more open than ever before, as I already mentioned. So sophomore goes on a retreat makes his first confession in years, right? For those who aren't Catholic, like he's basically pouring out his soul to a priest for the first time, probably since he was in second grade. And he's walking out of that experience feeling lighter than he's felt in years, right? I mean, you get into middle school and high school and you you start to struggle with habitual sins. You start to live with a little less of that innocence because the world is really messed up. And so are we, and we, we kind of play our part in that mess. And so you see him like living in the freedom of God's mercy here for, you know, a few hours on this retreat. Next day, decides on his own to come to mass, to, wow. to the daily optional mass that we have on campus. Instead of eating lunch, he comes to mass. He says, after receiving communion, he looks up at the cross and just starts weeping and literally doesn't stop crying for three hours. Okay, this is a sophomore. He's a jock. All right, he's a total normal, athletic, fifteen-year-old kid who, for the first time, is overwhelmed by God's love that could not have been encountered behind a screen. Perhaps not even encountered, like in the reading of a book or even sacred scripture. There's got to be that incarnational exchange, right? Which for him was very sacramental, but also it depended on this community around him because suddenly. Every one of his teachers is sending him to counseling, yeah. sending him to counseling. They're like, well, what's wrong with this kid? Counseling begins sending him to chemist ministry. We finally get to the bottom of it. He's literally just overwhelmed with God's love and didn't know how to process that emotion. Isn't it beautiful? And think of like, you know, that environment that you just described is the default, is the normal, yeah. right? This is how abnormally we live now that, that we wouldn't have that type of interaction. We wouldn't have those type of experiences in the context of a community, in the context of where you can really ask these fundamental questions. I was giving a, a podcast to a, an awesome group in Chicago called The Scholarly that does essentially young adult ministry on campuses for Latino immigrant students. Like they do an amazing job. And you know, I was talking with him saying, you know, he was asking, what advice do you have for college students? I said, especially now in this time, like we don't have time to talk about the weather. Like that's important. But let's just be really honest. Everyone is hurting right now. Everyone is hungry right now. Everyone wants relationship. And so I'm like, I want to challenge all the men and all the women and you're, you know, on his, listening to this podcast and specifically in his apostolate to start having honest conversations about like, you know, how's your prayer life? How's your vocation? Mm. How's your discernment? Don't waste the breath. How are you, you making know, a gift of yourself? Yes. And the truth is, is yeah. that those conversations are actually really liberating. So like that young man who's a sophomore, who what happened for him is that he encountered the real, like the mercy of God's love, mm. the reality of a community that, that deeply cares about him that wants him to learn who he is and the mission God has given him. Like, you know, in the book that we, that Tom Peterson and I just wrote, we talk about the truth that, that God is, is as excited. Yeah, you can, you can I won't do it, you can't. <laughs> is as excited about us discovering our mission as, as, as we are. 
I think that for a moment, like God is overjoyed when we enter into the drama of figuring out the mission that he's created us for. And I know this to be true as a father. Like I can tell you, so we had a conversation the other night. So my daughter, Isabel, who's just awesome. I have amazing kids. I mean, you know, I'm blessed with 10 kids, which is awesome. And, you know, and our, our oldest is, is doing a great job at University of Mary. She's home. You know, she, she came home for, for the holidays. It's just beautiful to have the whole family back together. But my 17-year-old my is, is discerning what the Lord is calling her to. And she has this, this natural proclivity towards medicine. She has a particular temperament and way of learning. And she's been working as a veterinary nurse for you know, over almost a year now. And she came to us and she's like, I really feel like God is calling me to be a paramedic and a sonographer. And here's the steps I need to take to participate with that. And like, Rebecca and I are like overjoyed. Cause like we see this in her, we, we want to cultivate this as parents, but it's gotta be hers, right? And so I, my imperfect father though I am, right? A guy who still complains about waking up with a crying baby, even though he's beautiful, right? A guy who, who still kicks goats when they don't behave, right? We, we, we have milk goats. In there. <laughs> anyways, you know, I don't just randomly go out, you know, to fields and do that. But anyways, right? Imperfect father though I am, I'm overjoyed when my kids take seriously discovering the mission that they've been made for and a mission that my wife and I hope that we've we've given them a vision of themselves as authentic, right? And and that is education like in a nutshell. Mm. I mean to like, you know, bring this back to how the conversation started, right? Is that that education, you know, always properly understood is about like remembering who you are. And then about becoming that person so you can make a gift of yourself, right? And, the, and, and big things are attached to this. Your happiness, your fulfillment, your ability to enter in um, to, to who, who you are and the place you've been given, right? Not just your temperament or proclivity and your skills, but the actual place and time you live in, right? You know, that, that's what education is, is discovering all that. It's not just content delivery, right? It's not just data. It is, is this really sort of, you know, very human, you know, education in a nutshell is, is becoming human, yeah. you know, like full stop. And so it's hard to do that if you don't understand education as incarnational. Yeah. If you don't understand the real reality of this, this this sort of human communion that happens in education. And and I think, you know, to our detriment, it's interesting. So one of one of the schools I often talk about, my alma mater, ASU, Arizona State University, right, is this huge juggernaut, super technical right? They have more data. Like they have, they, they, they want, I mean, it's crazy. I think it's like 4,000 points of data that they follow for every student. Yikes. Something like that, right? And they do this because they want the students to succeed. They want to help with retention. They want to know, right? So if you're living on campus, they're looking at when you're eating meals. They're looking at when you're checking into the dorm because they want to figure out what is it that helps the student succeed. Like they're really honest about it, which makes you kind of nervous too, right? But they're, they're like really honest. But one of the things that they've constantly been doing, even as a big secular school is to say, you know what? Students, it's not a matter of, matter of just figuring out how to give them more content. We need to create real exchange of relationship. So like they're coming to it just from like a research perspective of saying, wow, kids actually learn better when they're in friendship. Kids actually learn better when they trust their professor. Kids actually learn better when they're able to talk about these things outside of class and are encouraged to do so. Students actually learn better when they're not behind a screen, when they're forced to be with each other. Students actually learn better when they're around diverse ideas that they have to exchange and have to argue and debate about in a civil and constructive way. And so they're, they're essentially backing their way into this, this reality that, look, this, this idea that education is just the practical delivery of content and the more efficient we do that, the better we educate. It's just not true. What makes me particularly nervous, and we'll talk about this in a couple of months when we hone in on technology, is you think about social media as one of the real primary educators of this generation that's, that's coming up right now. And you think, okay, well, hang on a second here. They're choosing, obviously, much of the content that they're consuming in that 
arena. And not only that, the algorithms are sort of bringing more and more of the same kind of content back to them over and over again. So they're not getting any diversity of thought. They're certainly never going to be challenged, but but by no means will they be deeply loved and accompanied either. And this is interesting because I think even before COVID, I was becoming increasingly aware, maybe especially within the church, that we have fallen into a little bit of a trap of thinking that truth and isolation is enough. You know, we've seen like a lot of catechetical renewal, right? This renewal of catechesis and understanding doctrines of the faith. I mean, you go online and you cannot hardly find a heretical resource out there. Yeah, there's a gluttony of, of content. Amazing I mean, stuff. So blessed with Well produced, content. high quality, and, and, and is, rich. This is across the board. I mean, like when you talk about, you know, our, our Catholic faith, but certainly among the evangelicals and Baptists and others, like they're all coming to this conclusion in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like we need, we need to be bold exactly. in articulation of the truth. That's right, which is amazing. And, and even you see this growing sort of need and love and attention to beauty along the way as well. I still am utterly convinced that without relationship, without accompaniment, without love, which now makes me, you know, sound like a hippie, it all is for naught. Yeah, right? let's, let's test it real quick. So, yeah, imagine let's do a thought experiment. Okay, this will be an easy one for you, Jimmy. So, imagine you meet this like beautiful girl, like like ten out of ten. She's smart. Everything that you're not, she is. Like <laughs> right, like just like that. But you have no one to tell that to. Mm. That relationship probably will not flourish. Interesting. And if it does, it will require probably some heroic virtue on both your parts. Why? Because learning even about other people actually happens within the crucible of relationships with others too. Yeah, yeah. And like, this is just such a fundamental, you know, like human not only need, but just a human reality, just biologically. And so you're like, do that for a minute. Like any friendship you've had, C.S. Lewis does this, right? It's like a, a true friendship never seeks to beget only two. Right, a true friendship actually goes out. It's like you got to meet this guy, you got to meet this girl, you got to meet this person. Rejoices right? when the two become three, when the three become exactly. eight. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is part of the incarnational reality of, of sharing a gift of oneself. And primarily, everything we do in education, properly understood, even the rudimentary stuff like arithmetic, like yeah. reading, and writing, is about becoming fully human, so you can enter into that relationship. And Newman says it beautifully. He says, "Why? Why would we prepare people for the relationship?" And the idea of the university is beautiful. Line says, "Why would we prepare kids to swim without ever putting them in the water?" Right, so like we need to like if we're going to prepare these skills so people can be more human, we need to be being human while we're teaching these skills. And I can tell you, I know there's a lot of educators in my family. I'm an educator, you know, and and so many of the teachers I've talked to, their hearts just ache right now. And many of them have been formed in programs that essentially tell them, look, if you can just get the right algorithm of how you deliver the content, the way you do it, the way you understand the student, you can you can make an impact. And what everything else is telling them in their experience is actually. Those things are important, but they're they're secondary to this actual personal relationship. Yeah, so cool. Think of every teacher you've loved, every teacher you've learned from. Right? I mean, I had an experience that I write about in Hearth and Field where a student ran up to me in the airport, gave me a big hug, and it was a really tense moment because I knew her face, but I did not know her name. Right? Like <laughs> I, can remember, I can remember everything about her, like yeah. what sports she played, her brothers or sisters. Like, I just cannot remember her name. Luckily, she told me, otherwise I would have been embarrassed. But she's like, I just want to thank you. You taught me so much. And I'm like, wow, okay, I, you know, this is this is pretty impressive. Like, tell me what 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 was it? You know, did I teach you about you know the War of 1812 or why 1054 is so important in the life of the church or how Western civilization? You know, like I'm thinking of all these really important things. You know, and this is this is a girl I taught, so she would have been either senior in high school or maybe it was her freshman year in college. Anyways, she said, you know, you taught me you know like a, a joy for learning, and, and you taught me that I was lovable, mm. right? Like that I like I have gifts to bring. 
I'm like, wait, that's way better than 1054. That's way better than 1812, right? And then the truth is, I asked her, what are you doing now? She's like, oh, I'm actually a teacher. I, I, I double majored, right? And then I realized, oh, wait, all the stuff that I was passionate about that I think is really important, she actually imbibed. But she imbibed it. Why? Because I was a credible witness, because I actually entered in a relationship, imperfect though I am, right? And so I think, you know, so much of the crisis right now and this virtual education, we have to be really, really, really honest. What's the purpose of education? And, and where can technology properly intervene and, and not supplant, but resource and help and, and, and even improve upon to a certain extent, but never to replace? Because you can just not replace the incarnational reality of what happens in human communion. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And we're only actually about five or six weeks away from the very feast of the incarnation, right. which, I mean, you know how much I love Christmas. You can imagine how much I love Easter up until last year. My Easter's were always spent in Rome, you know? Yeah. I got really, really sweet memories of those two great feast days. But there's been something about the incarnation that has always captivated me. In fact, love good wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the feast of the incarnation or the Annunciation 2009. I was on a silent retreat at seminary. And for the first time, I was waking up to everything we've been talking about for the last 30 minutes. And yes, it affects education. It affects vocation. It affects family life. It affects culture. And so I look forward to continuing these conversations and never tiring of returning to this fundamental truth, this staggering doctrine, as Chesterton calls it, of the incarnation. And obviously the enfleshed reality that we all long to live in even in times of pandemic, in times of crisis, in times that are as strange as the ones we're living in now. So as always, Ryan, thank you so much. God bless. Oh, so my pleasure. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Peace. Caught up in the old game, compare and explain how you got to where you are now. Keep a list of who knows your name, all that think you're insane. Explain about what you know, it just goes to show you it's all about the show. My mama, she told me, don't worry about the love, don't you go looking, trying to find someone to complete you, cause you're already done, today has a purpose, and it's not waiting on You're listening to Someone by Jackie Minton. This is a live recording currently unavailable anywhere except our YouTube channel, all right? Literally, this music video was released yesterday. Yeah, it's a bit of a like anti-love song, you know, for Valentine's Day. Very exciting. But yeah, it's released February 15th. You got to go to our, our YouTube channel to check that out, youtube.com slash lovegoodculture. But gosh, we're such a big fan of Jackie Minton. As I, I mentioned earlier, Marisol is currently on the road with Jackie and they're doing, you know, real intimate fireside concerts all over the Southeast right now where it's a little bit warmer. They can be outside. They can be uh, wherever you are most comfortable. And I really mean it when I say we want to come and bring the beauty of authentic Christian culture. We want to bring the beauty of interpersonal communion, right? All the things we've been talking about today with Dr. Ryan Henning, we want to bring that to you, to your family, to your friends to your community. So again, go to lovegoodculture.com slash tour and request your date today. All right, the last thing I'm gonna say is that 
Dr. Ryan Hanning and I, we're going to be a part of a very exciting live stream on Thursday night. It's, a, it's kind of a workshop, really, for Catholic men who are homeschooling their children. That is super niche. I don't know how many of you out there happen to be Catholic, how ha- happen to be men, and happen to be homeschooling your children, but apparently there are tens of thousands of you out there, and Lovegood is privileged enough to be partnering with this great organization called Fraternus, those Catholic men, some of the most brilliant doctorate-level theologians that I know are going to be a part of this, including Dr. Ryan Henning. So if you're interested in that, just go to my Instagram, it's Jimmy P. Mitchell, and click on the link in my bio and you can get registered. But it's literally 48 hours away. If you know somebody who's homeschooling their kids, if you're if you're a man out there and you're thinking you might want to one day homeschool your kids, whatever it might be, this is a great way to reclaim culture, right? To take education really back into our own hands, okay? And on top of that, to really understand the man's role as the father of a homeschool. So anyway, that's pretty exciting. It feels kind of random, but super exciting. And I just love the men who are involved with this. Guys like Jared Stout and, I mean, just brilliant, brilliant theologians. So all that to say, amazing and beautiful things going on. Next week, I'm sitting down with, well, actually... I'm not the one sitting down with, with Leanne Bowen. It's, it's Marisol Alisea sitting down with Leanne Bowen, who is our, one of our featured artists in our upcoming spring package, which we'll tell you more about sooner rather than later. You guys are amazing. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you soon. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Love Good Podcast. Share this episode link on social media, leave us a review, and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. You'll start enjoying our premium content and seasonal packages that not only raise your standard for music, books, and art, but that also inspire you to evangelize culture through beauty. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.